0: Welcome to the Eagle and Child podcast, where we share the stories and thoughts of church history's heroes to inspire and equip the church of today. I'm your host, Leila Nahavandi, and we hope you enjoy this episode. This is our first ever episode. I'm so excited. Our preview podcast with our very special guest, Mr. John Adams. John, thank you so much for joining us on our first ever Eagle and Child podcast
1: episode. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here.
0: Oh, it's great to see you, my friend. So for those of you who don't know John, let me introduce him to you. He is a Bible teacher in Haiti. He has got a degree in history. He's got a master's in biblical studies, Right now, he's just writing up his thesis on the Azusa Street Revival. I've read it. It's brilliant. He's also on faculty at Theos University as their resident historian, teaching all things history. It's been one of my favourite classes that I've watched at the OSU. has been some of John's history lectures and classes. And right now he's writing a new course on C.S. Lewis, which is just incredible. I've got some of the lectures that I've, I've been able to preview them and they are just brilliant. Chris Palmer is doing the C.S. Lewis podcast for us, but I think we should have got you, John. <laughs> Chris, Chris Palmer's hogged it, but everybody wanted it.
1: He'll um, really do a great job.
0: Yeah, no, he'll do a great job. And if he does a rubbish job, we'll get you to do it the week after. <laughs> you can fix
1: right. it. <laughs> if I get no, that email, not. I know what happened.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. It's like, sorry, Chris, you got bumped. Um, yeah. But it is so good to have you with us, John. Thank you so much. Um, for coming on. Today, uh, we're going to do a bit of a Eagle and Child podcast on steroids. So we're going to (laughs) look at four different historical figures, but just for the people watching along at home, the four people and and the one lady and her cat in Siberia who have tuned into our podcast today, (laughs) I just want to explain a little bit about what the podcast is. Because when I say, oh, it's the Eagle and Child podcast, people are like uh okay eagle and child like why did you name your podcast the eagle and child they're like she's definitely lost it but people who get the reference they they know what we're talking about so they're like oh that's awesome so you already know this john but the eagle and child was a place in oxford england where jrr tolkien and c.s lewis would go to meet together On a Tuesday morning, every Tuesday morning they'd meet together, they'd discuss their literary ideas and they became some – really famous influential christian thinkers in christian history they set up this group called the inklings and so the eagle and child podcast is really to um, gather all these different guests and people from around the world who are interested in that sort of stuff and discuss famous people and influential christian figures in christian history um, who have really helped to shape christianity as we know it today Their inspiring stories their thoughts their theology and just help us to get to know where we came from what's your famous quote from bob marley about church history john
1: (laughs) if you don't know your history you don't know where you're coming from
0: exactly exactly i wholeheartedly agree so yeah so that's what we're up to that's what we're doing today and we are going to do a rapid fire episode through four historical figures with mr john adams so are you ready to go john
1: Absolutely.
0: You're ready to go. Okay, the first one we're going to look at is Augustine of Hippo, St. Augustine. So can you tell us a little bit about who he was, his background, some of his thoughts? Go for it.
1: Definitely. Yeah, so I actually say Augustine. I, I heard a seminary professor say once that St. Augustine is in Florida and St. Augustine is in heaven. <laughs> so yeah, it's like, uh,
0: well, yeah, exactly. Well, he could say outside. that. He could say that, but he would be wrong.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: No, I'm, I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm an Aussie, so I don't pronounce anything correctly. <laughs> Nothing. <Yeah.
1: laughs> so Augustine was uh, born in the 5th century or 4th mm-hmm. century, 300s, uh, a little bit after Constantine made uh, the Roman Empire Christian. And uh, he, as a young man, he was kind of uh, privileged, uh, got a good education. Um, his father was a pagan. His mother was a Christian and, um, he kind of, uh, his mother was praying for him hard the entire time he was a youth, but he really wasn't interested in faith at all as a youth. Mm -hmm. He was, uh, you know, into all kinds of sin and he got sent to the big city for his education, uh, which he said was a frying pan of temptations He graduated. He was very smart. He graduated uh, and ended up becoming a professor of rhetoric. Uh, He was a very good speaker, uh, debater, ended up moving to Italy, uh, which was kind of the center of the Roman Empire, and spent a little time in Rome and then went up north to Milan, where he really began to make his career. And uh, during all that time, he was really not interested in Christianity. He thought it was kind of a religion for simple people and he was more interested in the pagan philosophies that he thought were intellectually hefty. And when he got to Milan, he met a bishop named Ambrose, who was the first Christian he'd ever heard who could preach on his level. And he was very impressed, and he kept coming back uh, and sitting in on the services, even though he wasn't a Christian, and uh, eventually uh, converted, eventually became, well, he, he became convinced on an intellectual level by Ambrose that Christianity was true, but he uh, his flesh wasn't in accord with his mind. Like he was very attached to his concubine. He was very. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: He was whatever. a ladies man.
1: He was definitely the ladies,
0: ladies man. hundred
1: percent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So his, his mind was there, but his body wasn't. And there's a famous mm-hmm. scene in his book, The Confessions, where he's kind of had this long, you know, discussion with his friend, and he's just really frustrated uh, because he can't muster up the will to really commit to a Mm -hmm. Christian life. Walks out into the garden in frustration, and he hears this child next door singing, take and read, take and read. And he takes it as a sign that he's supposed to open the Bible and read the Bible. And so it falls open to a passage in Romans that basically says, you know, put off the desires of the flesh, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, reading that passage, somehow he got a, like a gift of grace or something in that moment that enabled him to make that decision. And so from that point forward, he lived as a Christian. His mother eventually came and lived with him in Italy, uh, which was kind of a big deal because he'd actually lied to his mother before he left Africa. (laughs) He told her that uh, basically he promised her that, no, I'm not moving. I'm not going anywhere. And uh, the next day he like took off and went, you got on a ship and left, you know, so their reunion must have been a little bit awkward, but <laughs> she was happy. The ultimate that trickster.
0: Saved. Yeah, she was probably just like so happy that he saved. She's like, woo
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> been praying yeah. forever.
1: Yeah. yeah. So she came to Italy. She died shortly afterward, um, and he ended up moving back to Africa. Mm. And uh, eventually he had no intention of going into the ministry. He was uh, really interested in a monastic lifestyle. He just wanted to kind of mm. read books, and meditate, and, you know, be spiritual. But uh, there was such a need for gifted ministers and such a shortage of them in his area that uh, one Sunday when he was at church, uh, the bishop was preaching on how badly they needed young gifted people to be uh, pastors. And the congregation turns and kind of looks at Augustine. (laughs) All eyes on uh, him. Yeah. And they're like, wait a minute. That's (laughs) not (laughs) smart." Yeah. uh, He's like, I need to go
0: to
1: the the bathroom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, so they uh they pushed him to the front and uh yeah. and kind of forced him to and he started crying and uh Aww. the congregation were like trying to con- comfort him they're like uh you know thinking like he's crying because he doesn't want to be a priest he wants to be a bishop because you know he's a very well-educated man he's actually crying because he's losing his freedom like he doesn't want to be <laughs> <laughs> in the ministry kind of got Ball drafted in into God's army.
0: <laughs> he's love- I love him. I think he's awesome. And yeah. I love the way that, like, he obviously was a ladies' man, but seeing his conversion <laughs> story, you see how just his love for Jesus just totally supersedes and engulfs him, and-, and he's just immersed in this love of God that's so much greater than any love that he's experienced on earth. I love that about him.
1: Yeah, my friend Josh Bidell loves Augustine, and he says that if you ever want to deepen your prayer life, uh, reading Augustine is great. But yeah. from my perspective, it's like if you ever want to feel like your prayers don't measure up. <laughs> <laughs> like you're Augustine.
0: rubbish, like you're yeah. not even a real Christian. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> uh, jo- Josh is going to be on the podcast, actually. He's doing Augustine. Right.
1: <laughs>
0: but, yeah, so tell us a little bit about Um, What were some of his ideas? How did he sort of change the game theologically? What did he contribute? Who were the heretics that he sort of refuted? What did he do?
1: So after he kind of got forced to be a priest, uh, he did eventually work his way up to bishop, and he kind of spent most of his life in controversy. He would get out of one (laughs) controversy and get dragged into another. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he faced, you know, several major controversies. One was with the Pelagians, Pelagius was a British monk who uh, basically believed that God's grace is something extra. Like, we don't need Mm. God's grace. If God commands it's because you can do it. And so you just need to, like, you know, buckle down and...
0: Yeah, try harder.
1: Try harder, yeah. You idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) <laughs> and so Augustine completely disagreed with that mm-hmm. and ended up uh, writing several works against the religions. But Augustine argued for a, a strong theology of God's grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he said, like, we're not even able to love God. Uh, God has to first give us grace and change our affections. And Augustine, yeah. probably, Augustine was pretty influenced by his personal testimony. Like it took yes. Augustine a long time to actually get that get to that point where he was able to commit his will to doing God's will. And so uh, Augustine pushed hard for a theology of grace. Mm. Uh, that it was by his, the uh, grace of
0: God that his life was changed and transformed. So, yeah, absolutely it makes sense.
1: Yeah, his theology was eventually recognized by a church council as, as Orthodox and Pelagius mm-hmm. was kind of wrote off into the sunset. <laughs> yeah. He Get over there him. on that island. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Don't come back.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, You're cancelled. Yeah. Uh, he, another controversy he got into was with the Donatists. The Donatists were a group that uh, basically said that ministers who had yielded under pressure when persecution had still been in effect and had kind of given up the gospel, uh, their, whatever they did as ministers was invalid. So if they baptized you, your baptize, baptism doesn't count. Yeah. If they eat mm-hmm. Communion, you know, that doesn't, it's not real. Uh, so Augustine disagreed with that too. He said, you know, like if we were constantly worrying about whether the person who baptized us was actually a Christian, and and that and our baptism depended on them being real, uh, you know, we would never have any security as believers ourselves. You know, the, absolutely. The sacrament. God's grace flows through the sacrament independently of the mm. worthiness of the minister conferring it,
0: yeah.
1: uh, which also has become, you know, kind of a, a an important point.
0: Standard. You know, yeah.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, Augustine uh, fought the Donatists. Uh, He eventually uh, did defeat the Donatists. It wasn't as clean of a victory as the victory of the Pelagians, uh, because the Donatism was really tied up. It wasn't just about uh, the theological aspects. Mm -hmm. It also had a kind of a political aspect. Uh, Mm -hmm. A lot of the Donatists hated the priests who had sold out to Rome because they hated Rome and they (laughs) were African nationalists. who You could
0: hate Rome! (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so they were anti-Roman in general, and mm-hmm. uh, so there was a kind of a political aspect. They were actually Donatist terrorists who attacked, you know, Catholic churches at the time.
0: Crazy, uh, hey? Yeah.
1: Church history yeah.
0: just shows how tame we are today. It does. <laughs> no one's being yeah. burnt at the stake. No one's, like, terrorising Catholic churches. Oh, well,
1: yeah.
0: other faiths are, but Christians aren't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, yeah, Augustine had to deal with a lot of things pastors today probably are thankful they don't. I mean, there Mm. are transcripts of Augustine's sermons where Augustine has to plead with the people to stop talking while he's preaching. (laughs) (laughs) Well, some of us us do have
0: to deal with that. Anyone in youth (laughs) ministry can relate.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I forgot about youth ministry.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Or kids ministry.
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah, definitely. (laughs)
0: No, that's so cool. Okay, so can you tell us some of his famous quotes? Like, what are some great quotes that... Augustine threw out there that we should know if we just want to sort of dabble in knowing a little bit about him.
1: Sure, yes. So Augustine's most famous quote is probably uh, from the Confessions. The first line says, you have made us for yourself mm. and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. has been quoted many, many times. Such a good um, quote. One of the funnier quotes is from one of his works against the Donatists. The Donatists were kind of schismatics. They thought they were the only true believers and so mm-hmm. Augustine wrote, the clouds roll with thunder that the house of the Lord shall be built throughout the earth and these frogs sit in their marsh and We <laughs> are the only Christians.
0: <laughs> these frogs. He's so yeah. savage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Frogs. Yeah. It's like the ultimate insult, you frog, <laughs> of that time period. <laughs> uh, awesome. And um, can you give us just a random fact about Augustine? Or a couple yeah, of, uh, <laughs> uh,
1: Towards the end of Augustine's life, um, he actually died with the uh, the the vandals who were overrunning the Roman Empire at the gates of his city. And mm. he had actually written a long book called The City of God to try to explain mm. uh, that the church doesn't really need the Roman Empire to survive. The church will exist independently of any city of man. Well, wow. uh, another interesting fact about him is that he was an early abolitionist. Um, so, yeah,
0: you know, that is very interesting. Well, Tell long us long more about story. that because I think people would be interested in that.
1: Yeah, so yeah, Augustine was opposed to slavery in his own day. He actually mm. uh, forced several priests who were under his command to liberate their slaves. <laughs> yeah, uh, his argument was pretty straightforward. He didn't think uh, in Genesis that God had given man dominion over rational creatures, only over irrational mm. creation. Yeah. And So if it's a rational creature, you don't have dominion over it, and so you have to you have to let that person free, the person go free.
0: Incredible, incredible. All right, do you want to say anything more about Augustine, or should shall we move on? Uh, well and truly covered it. All right. Awesome. So very good. Thank you so much, John. You just pour forth gold. I loved it. Can we move on to our second rapid fire podcast preview person that we're looking at, Blaise Pascal?
1: Yes. Blaise Pascal. Yes.
0: Tell us about him. The scientist. Scientist theologian. Yes.
1: Uh, Pascal is interesting because he, he didn't live very long. He only lived 39 years, but he got an incredible amount of stuff done in 39 years. Uh, puts probably most people to shame. Um, <laughs> Pascal was a scientist. He was a mathematician. Uh, he was a philosopher, and he was also an apologist for the last eight years of his life. Um, he is uh, said to have invented the first computer. <laughs> uh, he, his father was a tax collector in France. He
0: invented a lot of things, didn't he? Well,
1: he invented a lot a num- of
0: things. A number of things. What else did he invent?
1: So he he invented the the calculating device to kind of help his father with his work. He mm-hmm. wrote several influential scientific papers. He invented the syringe. Uh, he invented the wristwatch. He invented the hydraulic <laughs> lift.
0: Yeah, uh, amazing, amazing.
1: Uh, he, he was kind of embarrassed by his own talents. Like he was so gifted. Oh. Uh, but he lived at a time of history when people were kind of beginning to think that science was a more reliable guide to uh, ultimate truth than mm. divine revelation. And yeah. Pascal kind of had a unique vantage point on that argument because he was so well versed in science that he could see that that was a dead end. Science can tell us how things work, but it can't really give us a why. Uh, mm. to the
0: Absolutely. Point. I love that.
1: Uh, yeah. So Pascal was also a person who was uh, deeply acquainted with suffering his life. He was a very sickly person for his entire life. It's probably why he died so early. Uh, He also lost his mother at the age of three. Um, A lot of other things go wrong. But uh, when he was a young man, his father had a real bad fall on the ice and dislocated his hip. And he had to take him to the doctor. And the doctor turned out to be a Jansenist. And Jansenism was a movement. In the Catholic Church at that time that basically was Augustinian and its theology and stressed God's grace. And uh, this doctor told Pascal that he believed that, God, that suffering could actually be an avenue for grace to flow into our lives. Wow. And so Pascal was intrigued by that idea and followed the Lord for a while. But then after his father died, he was kind of overcome with grief and went back into his old life, He was very wealthy because he'd, uh, you know, done a lot of great scientific work. And he used that wealth for a while to kind of buy himself every conceivable comfort, all the pleasure money could buy. Uh, But it really couldn't buy him happiness. And so Mm. uh, he reached, um, at at one point, he reached what he called a state of quiet despair. Uh, He didn't Mm. know what the meaning of life was. Uh, But when he was 31, he had this intense spiritual experience. He had a vision of the crucifixion. And he wrote most of it down on paper. Today, people call it his night of fire because at the very top of the page, he writes the word fire in big letters, all caps. Uh, and he also wrote, you know, that God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, not the God of philosophers and scholars, mm. certitude, joy, peace, uh, many other uh, kind of f- these f- these fragments. It's like these things are kind of popping into his spirit uh, and he's writing it down as he as he sees them. And that kind of that experience made him uh, a Christian permanently. And he was he would be a faithful Christian for the rest of his life.
0: Absolutely incredible. I love him. I, I love reading through Pascal quotes because I love that dichotomy between faith and science and that he was a brilliant scientist, but yet he found that you know science comes to an end and that's where faith begins and that's where you know you have this incredible relationship with god not only through reason but through the heart so can you give us some of his famous quotes i think you'll share some some down those sorts of lines
1: absolutely yeah so he one of his famous quotes is that uh, the heart has its reasons which reason does not know at all and so
0: <laughs> beautiful i love ma- that
1: what he ma- by the heart is that uh you know, kind of an intuition. Uh, he didn't just mean like feelings or sentiment. He he saw the heart as, as an intuition. Uh, but basically he, what he meant by that is that if people want to believe something, they'll find reasons to support their belief. And so he also said there's light enough for anyone who wants to see, and there's darkness enough for anyone who doesn't. Uh, so there's wow. enough clarity to kind of illuminate those who are chosen and enough darkness uh, to keep them humble. Uh, It doesn't mean that God is unknowable or that belief would be unreasonable. Uh, It just means that uh, ultimately uh, reason kind of carries us only so far. And at that point, we have to make a decision uh, that's not really like it can have a reason as a foundation. But ultimately, it's a decision that's more of a a decision of the will uh, to Mm -hmm. either follow the Lord or not follow the Lord.
0: So good. So good. Do you have any other quotes from Pascal?
1: Yeah, so um, he's got some some great quotes. He, one of the things he says is that reason's last step is the recognition that there are an infinite number of things which are beyond it. Uh, he says, don't be surprised at the sight of simple people who believe without argument. God makes them love him and hate themselves. He inclines their hearts to believe. We shall never believe with a vigorous and unquestioning faith unless God touches our hearts, and we shall believe as soon as he does so.
0: Amazing. Yeah. Beautiful. Okay, well, is that all you want to say? Oh, no, and maybe a random fact about Blaise Pascal.
1: Yeah, so... We want to get of, into
0: the deep, dark, dirty secrets of these historical yeah. figures. What's a random so in, fact?
1: In so God's, in God's providence, uh, we probably never would have known about his night of fire uh, unless mm. uh, one of his servants, after he died, just, like saw a bulge in the lining of his coat and tore it open and discovered the sheet in there, you know, that he had written fire at the top in big letters. And
0: that's
1: the only <laughs> reason we know about his conversion experience.
0: I love that. It's so powerful, isn't it? Um, very cool, very cool. Do you want to say anything more about Blaise Pascal?
1: Uh, no. I, I, I Well, he he wrote uh, his big work of apologetics. He spent the, <clears throat> the rest of his life as a Christian trying to convince people that Christianity mm. was and uh, his book is called Pense, which means thoughts in French. Uh, he never You can finished. speak
0: French, can't you?
1: I can. Yeah. We,
0: we should do the rest of this interview in French. Yeah. I, c- I won't understand it, but the people will enjoy it more.
1: That'll give you interpretation of tongues. To be able to. Oh,
0: absolutely. Well, I do believe in that. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, so he never finished the book, but after he died, somebody put the pieces that he did have into uh, publishable form. Mm -hmm. and uh peter kraft who i think you're familiar with i love kraft yeah he actually calls that one of the best maybe the best work of apologetics for modern people amazing Um, so even his even pascal's unfinished thoughts are better than most of
0: (laughs) our (laughs) finished yeah conclusive thoughts (laughs) that's awesome what a legend what a hero um awesome. Okay, so are we ready for the conveyor belt of history to move along with our next person?
1: <laughs> yes, let's move along to the 20th century, shall we? <laughs> yeah.
0: Exactly. Coming down the line is CS Lewis, the hero of the hour. So, can you can you tell us something about CS Lewis?
1: So, CS Lewis, yeah, he's definitely one of my favorite uh characters in church history. Um, yeah, he's great. Yeah, so Lewis was, uh, born in Northern Ireland in 1898. He was a very bookish little boy. Uh, he spent a lot of time indoors, uh, reading. And, uh, when he was nine years old, he had a very happy childhood, but when he was nine years old, his whole life kind of fell apart yeah, and wow. his mother died of cancer. And his father really didn't really seem to know how to process that. And he sent Lewis off to England to boarding school, uh, like two weeks after his mother died <laughs> crazy. And, uh,
0: it's insane lewis, what people used to do
1: <laughs> it is yeah but he sent lewis to boarding school probably to the worst possible boarding school in england mm. uh, had an abusive headmaster he was he had later cert, was certified as insane uh you know lewis himself wasn't physically abused but he regularly witnessed other children who were mm. uh and that uh those experiences he, um kind of cemented a, a deep pessimism in him he ended up becoming yeah. an atheist uh which was deepened even further he got sent off to world war one he saw terrible things there mm. uh, so by the time he came back and went to oxford university he was uh kind of a hardened atheist
0: crazy yeah. and uh just to lighten it up for just a moment what was his nickname <laughs> jack Yeah. So
1: he, he actually <laughs> chose his own nickname he walked <laughs> father's study one day and told him that I'm not Clive Staples anymore. I'm Jack. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Jaxi. Jaxi. What a random nickname to call yourself when your name is Clive Staples. Jaxi. Jaxi.
1: He was apparently kind of a strange child. I mean, he, on another occasion, he walked into his dad's study and he said, you know, father, I have a prejudice against the French. His father was like, (laughs) why on earth do you have a prejudice against the French? He's like, if I knew why, it wouldn't be a prejudice, now would it?
0: <laughs> and it's like, how does this kid even know what prejudice means?
1: Right, yeah, I mean, Insane. he's like seven years old. <laughs> yeah.
0: That's crazy. All right, sorry to interrupt you. Um. Yeah, what else do you want to say about C.S. Lewis? So I think you're up to, he's just about to go to Oxford?
1: Yeah, so he came back and uh, he went to Oxford and then eventually became a professor at Oxford mm. of uh, First philosophy and then literature, and he started meeting other faculty members who were every bit as intelligent as he was, but who were not atheists. Who were uh, some of them Christians, some of them just kind of believed in God in a general way. And he was kind of shaken by that, like, and started re-examining uh, the foundations of uh, what he believed, and eventually became a Christian under largely under the influence of J.R.R. R. Tolkien. Uh, Amazing Tolkien, Tolkien kind of helped him resolve uh, the question of all the other religions and Christianity. So Tolkien kind of gave him the idea that these other myths that he loved and which he had felt, you know, some kind of longing coming through um, were actually kind of signposts. They they pointed forward to mm. God would actually do it in history. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's myths about dying and rising gods in Ancient history, and uh, Tolkien kind of gave him the idea that these might be good dreams, so to speak, that God gave uh, to Amazing. the pagans, and so he was a- able to uh, put his faith in Christ. And uh, that wasn't necessarily the most popular thing to do at Oxford University, and so
0: <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> uh,
1: <laughs> but he eventually became a writer of apologetics. He, you know, he said, "I've I've had this experience, and I want others to to know about it as well." And he wrote a number of books defending Christianity. And then at nice. the end of his life, he kind of moved from, you know, kind of uh, more philosophical defenses of Christianity to trying to uh, actually encode Christianity in narrative and myth, mm-hmm. which he believed was much more effective. At, because Lewis had this idea that before the reason will will change, the imagination has to be kind of lit up. You know, you, you're not going to yeah. change somebody's mind unless awakened you awakened
0: and of- engaged.
1: Their head
0: yeah i love that yeah. thought and, yeah. and it's a great thought it's a great encouragement i think to all the creatives and all the writers and you know all the different people in that sort of field musicians different things like that when you can engage people's imagination and their creativity um it's actually a gateway to engaging their reason and their understanding and their openness to accepting your ideas i think that's really cool okay.
1: Yeah, so art plays a powerful, powerful mm. role in our lives. Totally. Uh, yeah, later in his life, Lewis met a, an American woman uh, <laughs> named Roy Gresham, who she's, she's a really interesting person herself. She was like a former communist. Crazy. Uh, really abusive <laughs> husband, came to England with her two sons. Rogue woman.
0: Mm. Kind of on a
1: whim, like she was a fan of Lewis's writing, and she moved to England more or less with the objective of uh, meeting him. And she, was,
0: she was, yeah, she was definitely in love, in love with Lewis.
1: Yeah, <laughs> she is
0: out to marry this guy. And, and, she, did and it. she won. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. To all of the yeah. girls out there who want to make the first move, look at Joy yeah. Joy um, Gresham. <laughs> is that her last name, Gresham or Gershim? Gresham.
1: Uh, yeah. So she, originally she was Joy Davidman. Um, she, uh, she was Jewish. Uh, yeah. So Gresham was her married name. And she ended up divorcing that guy. Um, and later married Lewis. You know, they, they kind of married, it was a weird <laughs> marriage because she was about to get kicked out of England. Uh, she didn't have the right to stay. And so she comes to Lewis with this sob story and basically convinces him that, well, if you'll marry me, then I can stay in, in, in England. And I think, <laughs> in I don't know if Lewis was like, I think he convinced himself that this was just a purely you know uh practical arrangement but I, on her end it was definitely yes. not a practical arrangement
0: absolutely not
1: and then, do you uh, think you know, that's for- why, why,
0: why Tolkien was a bit sour on him he's like you idiot <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah a lot of people didn't like his marriage they thought she was a gold digger you know they didn't <laughs> like that she was, exactly. she was, like that she was American <laughs> uh,
0: absolutely
1: but uh you know, she got cancer not long after they married and then yeah, that's sad. Uh, that, you know, moved Lewis even more than probably he already had been moved to, you know, take her as for real as his wife. And uh, he cared for her. And then when she died, it was a very traumatic experience for Lewis because it was oh. kind of like living his mother's death all over again.
0: Yeah. So crazy.
1: For a spot in his entire life and God walked him through it again. Mm. But this time he was much more mature and, uh, you know, he was able to kind of give his wife back to the Lord eventually. uh, Beautiful. And, uh, you know, not repeat the mistake of his earlier days and become Mm. an atheist.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Thank God he didn't. Yeah. (laughs) Because otherwise we wouldn't have the Chronicles of Narnia or mere Christianity.
1: Yeah. One fun fact about Lewis is like uh, he wrote his autobiography in 1955. It's called Surprised by Joy. Mm. And uh, the word joy for him means a longing that can't be satisfied by anything in this world. It's a longing that's sweeter yeah. than any satisfaction of that longing. Beautiful. Uh, he saw it as a pointer to God, but that was actually before he met his wife, who also was named Joy. So he, yeah. was, surprised by <laughs> he was very
0: surprised than. by that joy too. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> she
0: was a surprising woman. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Um, do you have any, do you have any um, great quotes from Lewis? I know a lot of people have quoted Lewis, so many people yeah. would know them. But.
1: Yeah, so he's got so many uh, great quotes. Uh, probably the one I like the most, this one's a little long, but he says, imagine yourself as a living house. Mm. Uh, God comes in to rebuild that house. And at first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that those jobs needed doing, so you're not surprised. Uh, But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and doesn't seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he is building a palace. He intends to live in it himself.
0: He intends to live in it himself. I love that so much. That's beautiful. Um, yeah. Do you have any other quotes from Lewis that you want to share?
1: Sure. Yeah. So he, one of his most famous quotes is, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. Uh, for him, yeah. Christianity provided a narrative that tied the world together. tied everything. Absolutely. Together. So.
0: so beautiful. All right. Awesome. And do you have some random facts about Lewis? random yeah. facts
1: these Two are random facts the first random fact is that he was uh really really bad at math
0: the worst
1: uh, i i can empathize with <laughs>
0: <laughs> so I can i actually
1: high school. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, but so bad
0: lucky. so bad he couldn't even make small change at shops right
1: right yeah that, he, he, that he, bad. He was bad he was that bad uh So he was lucky even to get into Oxford because Oxford actually had a general education exam that you had to pass, and math was obviously a part of that. Uh, The only reason he was able to get into Oxford was that when he returned from war, uh, there was temporarily a law that exempted returning servicemen from from that requirement. Crazy. uh, Not for that, we might never have heard of C.S. Lewis.
0: Amazing, isn't it? Or maybe even Tolkien because it was their friendship that brought Tolkien's writing to life wasn't it
1: that's right yeah Tolkien probably wouldn't have finished the Lord of the Rings if not for Lewis it's another fun crazy. fact.
0: crazy so yeah so that's amazing so that just shows you the hand of God in all of it as well like bringing this about I think that's so cool um so yeah they're your fun facts about Lewis do you want to share anything else uh
1: I guess maybe one last thing is that he, yeah. he his death was completely overshadowed like uh you know, even for most people in his immediate area, because he died on the exact same day that John F. Kennedy was assassinated. Crazy. <laughs> so he died and like really nobody noticed. <laughs> but in retrospect, he's probably had a lot more influence on history than than Kennedy.
0: Amazing. Amazing. Definitely on us.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I love CSAWs. Okay, awesome. So That's all we have from C.S. Lewis. We're going to move on to our final historical figure coming down the conveyor belt of the Eagle and Child podcast, J.R.R. Tolkien, who is um, the second founder of the Inklings, who met with Lewis at the Eagle and Child. So what can you tell us about his background, his development, his ideas, different things like that? Who was he?
1: Yeah, so Tolkien was uh, an orphan as a child. He was born in Mm -hmm. South Africa. Uh, but by the age of 12, uh, he'd moved back to England and both of his parents uh, had died. He was actually entrusted to the care of a Catholic priest. Uh, he met his future wife, Edith, in the orphanage, but they lost touch. Uh, Tolkien went to Oxford. He was a very gifted you know, student. And uh, while at Oxford, Tolkien actually wrote to Edith to catch up and found out that she was engaged. And he actually went to her in person and convinced her to break up with her a fiance and marry him instead
0: <laughs> scandalous very scandalous
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he apparently had some self confidence um yeah uh the following year he got sent off to war uh so he might have you know that marriage might not have made it he actually fought in the battle of the Somme, which was one of the bloodiest battles in history a million people got, were killed or wounded uh by the end of the war like basically all of his friends were dead he was he probably only survived because he got trench fever and got sent home uh, to recover yeah, so he had you know kind of a troubled early part of his life. but uh, you know after the war he he had a he had a quirky life his entire life after the war he got a job working for the dictionary, which I didn't even know that was a job
0: And <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. was the world expert on something <laughs> starting with the letter w.
1: It's like It sounds like
0: Sesame Street. It's like...
1: He's the world's leading expert on words of Germanic <laughs> origin that begin with the letter W. <laughs> I don't even know wow, how many what a legacy. Yeah. Well,
0: I can only hope to one day be known for such things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously a guy like that is going to become a university professor. That's, he's probably not obviously. suited for himself. Obviously. So he, had a, he had a speech impediment. He was very difficult to understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, but his students loved him anyway. He was so brilliant that they would give him standing ovations, even though they could barely hear him a lot of the time. Um, maybe they were giving stand- standing ovations because they were just glad that the lecture was over. I don't know. Yeah,
0: they're actually standing up to walk out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're incredibly rude, but he's taking it as standing ovations. Yeah.
1: <laughs> he was very,
0: yeah, he was very <laughs> self confident. So who knows? Maybe that's yeah, his own interpretation. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I always got the impression I get the impression by reading about him that he didn't really care much about people's opinions one way or the other.
0: <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, maybe I don't know, maybe, if, I don't know if you can share a, a little bit about his relationship with Lewis because he like he definitely <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs>
0: was a very honest friend, a savage but, friend.
1: Well, early in their relationship, he had a very positive influence on Lewis, like as yeah. we said, he basically led him to salvation. To, yeah yeah uh, and lewis but from that point forward lewis was kind of the fanboy in the relationship mm-hmm. and Tolkien was kind of like the cat who's you know like who let you pet him but he's not very interested in anything <laughs> that you have to say <laughs> Like I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll grace you with my presence but nothing else uh, <laughs> yeah.
0: that's a great way to put it
1: <laughs> <laughs> but uh I, I mean i'm sure they had a, a better friendship than that but he he uh was a very slow writer. He was uh, mm-hmm. just notoriously perfectionistic, and he might never have published any of his stories uh, if it wasn't for Lewis, who kept goading him in their inklings meetings, uh, mm-hmm. encouraging him and pushing him to uh, to publish them. And so uh, Tolkien finally took Lewis's advice about eight years after they met. He published The Hobbit, uh, you know, he had just kind of got the idea out of nowhere while he was grading student exams. Um, and another interesting fact is that that book probably wouldn't have gotten published if the proofreader hadn't given the book to his son uh, to kind of test out and see whether kids would like it. And the the boy came back totally enraptured and wanted more Hobbit stories.
0: So,
1: so the Hobbit did really well. And then Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings uh, in three volumes as a follow up. Uh, and that was largely due to Lewis's encouragement. Uh, Lewis always believed in the book, even though some other Inklings didn't even think it was very good. Some some of the other Inklings booed Tolkien. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting because then Tolkien hated the Chronicles of Narnia. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> That's yes. how
0: savage he is. Lewis is the only one who likes his writing, but he hates Lewis's writing. <laughs>
1: That's right. yes. we of heard one-sided relationship in that regard.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, Lewis loved everything Tolkien ever wrote, and Tolkien did not approve of most of Lewis writing. Uh, he hated the Chronicles of Narnia because he was a purist. He hated that Lewis mixed different genres of fantasy in the same uh, pot. Uh, and you know, he just he didn't think it was it, it was very good. He couldn't stand it. <laughs> Yeah, they did have a one-sided relationship. He was also uh, Roman Catholic. Lewis mm. was Anglican. And so they had some theological differences between them. Uh, Tolkien didn't like Lewis's apologetics work. He thought that Lewis should leave uh, the role of defending the faith to uh, professional ministers. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lewis always said, well, I'd be glad to if there were any of them who would step up and do, we could. do the job. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't Brilliant. really seem to be doing anything. So, you know, I, I'm <laughs> in the gap.
0: Someone's got uh,
1: to do it. Someone's got to do it. Yeah. But the, um, the real point of uh, conflict between them was that Lewis ended up marrying Joy, who Joy. was a divorcee. Yeah. And Tolkien uh, didn't believe in divorce. He was, you know, very conservative Catholic. Mm. And so he basically stopped talking to Lewis after nice. Lewis did that. They did reconcile at the end of their life.
0: Yeah. On one of their deathbeds, right? <laughs> Tolkien's <laughs> Tol Tol deathbed?
1: <laughs> well, Lewis is, yeah, Lewis died Lewis about is- 10 years or Tolkien, so it yeah. was Lewis's deathbed, and at one point Lewis wrote a letter to Tolkien that just said, I miss you very much. Yeah. And, uh, Tolkien came and spoke uh, to Lewis before he died, and they reconciled. And he, when Lewis died, he said it, it felt like he was a tree being cut down by the roots. Uh, so he was, he was very moved by, by losing his friend. Mm.
0: All right, what are some famous Tolkien quotes that you have for us, Mr John Adams? <laughs>
1: So Tolkien uh, had this whole philosophy called sub-creation. He thought that um, uh, we basically uh, are enabled by God to create worlds almost on the same level that God has created our world.
0: Crazy. Uh,
1: He said, we have come from God, and inevitably the myths woven by us, though they contain error, will also reflect a splintered fragment of the true light, the eternal truth that is with God, Indeed, only by myth-making, only by becoming a sub-creator and inventing stories, can man ascribe to the state of perfection Mm -hmm. that he knew before the fall. I'm not not completely sure he's right about that, but it's a very interesting... (laughs) It's interesting,
0: but it's total rubbish. (laughs) No, I'm joking. Garbage, yeah. Total trash.
1: (laughs) Um. (laughs) He might be right about it. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I think the concept maybe not in its fullest extent, I think I, I can relate to, that we can see like a fragment, a splinter, uh, you know, like in a mirror dimly lit, we can see that yeah. that creative glory of God because we're made in him, his image. So I think to a much less extent than probably Tolkien knew, I would probably, I would thought, I would probably agree with him. <laughs> yeah.
1: The, the the idea of the subcreation, incidentally, is why he hated the Chronicles of Narnia so much.
0: Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But
1: as a subcreator, the worlds that we create have to have complete integrity, which is another another reason he was so slow at writing. Mm. Uh, but he hated Lewis's writing <laughs> because he didn't think it had any artistic integrity. It just kind of threw at all the different myths that Lewis liked together. You know, it almost
0: yeah. So to Tolkien, it almost seems blasphemous because it's something that's so holy that you're doing when you're creating exactly. these worlds
1: mm. exactly yeah
0: interesting um okay so do you want to tell us some random facts about tolkien i love because he's a character i love i'd love to hear some random he's facts
1: he's a strange bird he had a very uh, <laughs> sense of humor he mm. loved playing pranks and uh, he loved playing pranks with lewis and he convinced lewis one time to, con- to so dress fun. up as polar bears and go to a non-costume party dressed like that.
0: <laughs> Why not? Why not?
1: Why not? Yeah.
0: As polar uh, bears.
1: Polar bears. They walked around the whole That's night fun. dressed as polar bears. And people were probably like, what are you doing? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> oh, I love that. So cool. Yeah.
1: I, I, don't, I used to watch this British show. Uh, talking sense of humor kind of reminds me of this show I used to watch called Trigger Happy TV. I don't know if you ever heard of that or saw that. No. Nah. But – uh they would do things kind of like that. Like at one point, the guy called a, a rodent exterminator and took him up to his attic, and there's a guy sitting on his couch, like in, dressed in a mouse costume, like reading a newspaper. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know if you can do anything about this, you know. <laughs> okay, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah, that's awesome. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I just I love, like I, a, yeah, yeah, like I love the commitment. That's that's what I love about Tolkien and Lewis. Like, <laughs> it's not even a costume party who cares yeah. like let's go out and get some polar bear suits <laughs> Right,
1: this probably took like two, two or three hours like it's a, yeah. it's a party the a whole night the such, such I mean, whole night character committed <laughs>
0: <laughs> i love it yeah. i love it um anything else you want to tell us about tolkien
1: yeah at another point he uh he got tired of fans showing up at his house. Like Lord of the Rings, kind of became famous by the 60s. It was really big, mm-hmm. and uh, he would dress up as an Anglo-Saxon warrior <laughs> with a real battle <laughs> axe and chase, chase visitors to <laughs> <Yeah. laughs>
0: Chase them down the street, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> down the street. Uh, he was also known to go into to, to shops, and uh, when the store clerk would ask for payment, he would hand them his false teeth instead of oh. the money. And- Smile at them, gum, you know, gum smile. I
0: can't and... handle that one. That one's <laughs> disgusting. Oh,
1: would that gross you up?
0: Oh, totally. If someone <laughs> hands me their false teeth, I might cut off my hand. <laughs> Just feral, so feral.
1: Keep that in mind.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Never hand me your false teeth. <laughs> no, very cool. We have had these four heroes of Christian history explained to us very very well by Mr John Adams thank you so much John you are just brilliant
1: you're very welcome anytime thank
0: you thank you thank you and thank you everyone for joining us on the first ever episode of the Eagle and Child podcast I hope you've enjoyed it Um, obviously we started with a most brilliant guest in John Adams but we have an incredible lineup for the rest of season one season one is already stacked we've got into season two season three so if this podcast absolutely tanks we're gonna be flogging this dead horse for a good while yet (laughs) um so i think we've got chris palmer coming up we've got gabriel finocchio we've got josh Bidell, we've got felicia masonheimer a whole bunch coming up over the next couple of months so we would love for you to stick with us and we will see you guys soon thank you so much john for joining us we'll see you guys later Thanks so much for tuning into the Eagle and Child podcast. That's all from us for today. If you want to support us, you can like, subscribe or drop us a review. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Eagle and Child podcast. We'll catch you next time. Much love.